You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And I am sorry for my voice today. I have a man cold, and I expect sympathy from all of you because I'm in the edge of of absolute death. Um, But before I die, I'm going to have an interesting conversation with Corinna Cohn. Um, And this is one of the first times I've spoken directly to Corinna. Uh, Corinna is a friend of my friend and uh, Nina Paley, uh, probably known Nina longer than I have. Uh, and they do a podcast called Hetero Dorks. And Corinna, what, what's the tagline? It's, it's funny. We open every episode by saying, Hey, turfs and trannies. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So I'm not going to try to do an introduction. Corinna, why don't you introduce yourself? What kind of person are you? I'm the best sort of person. I'm the most true and authentic sort of person. And the proof is that I've had the medication and surgery to prove how authentic I am. My name is Corinna Cohn. I am a transsexual who transitioned as a teenager. I am now in my 40s and starting to have gray hairs coming in and going, you know, I wonder if when I was a teenager, if maybe I made the right decision or not. Uh, So I write about that a little bit. Uh, early April, I had a op-ed in the Washington Post, which gave some of my background, and where I finished by recommending to families and to young people who are considering transition, slow down a little bit. Try to find out a little bit more about your body. See if you can try living in it in a way that feels better to you before you start medicalizing it and cutting it up. Thank you. Um, I read your uh, Washington Post piece, um, and I recommend everybody else do so as well. Um, I did not know before reading that that you'd had the transition surgery at 19 years old. And I mean, as you know, today, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're sort of worried that 13 year olds are going to be uh, starting this surgical path. So, you know, it's... Um, it's not even that that people are uh, are waiting until actual legal age of majority, uh, but we're starting to see this happening, especially to young girls. And the reason why I wanted to have you on the show, obviously, is as a transsexual, you are one of the few people um, who will say anything that even slightly contradicts the the mantras and the ideology of, of, of what styles itself today as LGBTQ or trans or trans allyship. Um, and if you'll pardon me, uh, you know, I think of you, I, you're in the category of my head of old school transsexual that, <laughs> that I've sort of, uh, that I've always known, right? Um, and, and that people, you know, back in the, back in the nineties, when I was still involved with what was then the gay and lesbian community, 
there are always some transsexuals there. There weren't a lot of them because there have never been a great number of transsexuals. Um, and what's interesting to me is just how, how different the whole thing is. I'll be interested to hear about what, what your experience was like to whatever degree you were part of that community at that time. But the fights that we're having today that, that start with things like, you know, say the pronouns, don't say the pronouns, um, say, say he's a man, say he's a woman. This stuff in my memory did not exist. That tension wasn't there. Um, and most of us used pronouns, right? Because there was no threat to any of us that if we didn't do so, that we'd be socially or professionally ostracized. And in my memory also, nobody knew, nobody, neither the transsexuals nor the rest of us, none of us thought that people actually changed sex. We understood the reasons why someone felt compelled to do so, but there wasn't this pressure of you have to believe this on a religious level. Well, what has it been like for you? What's your memory? Well, what you bring up is sort of interesting because there's always been this weird dissonance of, no, you didn't actually literally change sex. However, your brain sex, if you recall that trope, your brain sex is actually the sex of the your target sex. So right. for a number of years, I believed that there was some sort of developmental error, maybe some hormone wash. That's a pretty well-trod theory that doesn't really have any good data to support it, that there was something that happened during development that caused my brain not to develop in a way that was able to associate my sexed body with my personality. Now, all of that is unscientific. There's nothing to support it. And I wish there was. In fact, I spent a number of years reading the literature, trying to understand the root cause of transgender or transsexual identification. And as I read the papers and as I became better educated about methodology and the statistical error and the, the sorts of things that you need to understand in order to make sense of a scientific paper, the more I realized that whatever, there, there is a little bit of science out there that maybe hints that there might be something different about trans people, but it's not really clear uh, what is different or, or why we would be different in any way. But even if there's something out there that shows that there's something maybe developmentally a little bit different about trans people, there's nothing that says that we are actually members of the opposite sex. There, there's nothing that supports that. I agree with you. Um, it, this reminds me of a panel I was on this weekend when I was in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, <clears throat> for the Better Discourse Conference. And the panel topic uh, that I participated in was, is it possible to be born in the wrong body? Um, everybody listening knows what my answer is to that. Um, we had one person on the panel, a man named Justin, uh, who, who I think would describe himself as a trans ally. He's a gay man. Mm. And he was very heavy on the, all the scientific studies show a hormone wash, a different brain development, a female sexed brain uh, in a male body. It, and it was very much a, a very quick oral recitation of all the studies that I think both you and I are probably familiar right. with, and, and which I think we both agree are methodologically flawed at least, 
um, and and may have some tendentious assumptions that under that were never interrogated uh, before the study was carried out. Right. Um, or they haven't been replicated, or there have been a number of comments afterwards that reveal colleagues who have criticisms of of the study. There's there's so many issues. I know I, re I know from reading your Washington Post piece that you are reconsidering um, some of the ways that you view this issue personally and politically. I do wonder <clears throat> now that you've gotten to a point where you don't accept that these studies are actually pointing to something objectively real in terms of a physical difference. Have you started to come to any conclusions or go down any pathways? What do you think yes. may influence a person like you? Could I be pedantic for just one moment, yes, Josh? please do. Because, because you summarized me as saying that the science does not show that there's anything different. Okay. And I, th I think that there actually is some weak science that might show that there's something a little bit different. Okay. I was saying that earlier, but it does not show that that, that difference would make you the opposite sex. Okay, thank you. So it, it's a huge leap to say, we did this brain study and we found that this one little area of is is a little bit different um, in a way that's consistent in, in this population. But you, you've got to repeat that with different populations and see if that same phenomenon occurs. But, you know, it's it's very weak science that shows any any uh, difference in the trans population. So sorry, sorry for being pedantic. No, I just... pedantic. Yeah, please do correct me. Um, I will accept all corrections um, and clarifications. So what do you think? What are you thinking about? What directions does your mind go in when you try to answer this question now? I go to religion. Naturally, okay. right? Doesn't that make the most sense is religion? Mm -hmm. So if something cannot be explained very well with evidence or data or science, but that people are still very adamant that such a thing is in existence, but there's no proof, then religion is really the go-to, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it's one way to go, but do you want to do you want to elaborate on that? Sure. I believe that one of the reasons that you see the LGBTQIA2S plus, etc., all of that seems to be seems to be so popular right now, partly because I think that there's a crisis in meaning that people have come to maturity in these wealthy Western democratized countries that the there's no struggle. All of the food that you need to eat is available. If you can't afford it, then somebody will provide it to you. For most people, shelter is available. If you are, if you look at the population of people who are uh, don't have housing, many of them have mental illness. So there is still a, a huge gap in being able to keep everybody safe and housed. But if you are able to navigate the system, you can get housing. So pretty much everything that you need to survive day to day is can be provided to you. You don't have to struggle. There's no meaning for it. It's really hard to define who you are in a world where you more or less have everything that all your basic needs covered. So I think trans, particularly today, particularly in, in the last 10 years, has come to fill in 
for a lot of people as a source of meaning and a source of belonging and a, a, a way for people to make sense of the world, particularly a world that seems in many ways confusing or um, nonsensical. So if what you decide is that instead of trying to deal with the dissonance and, and bury it and try to continue anyway, if you say, well, I'm, I'm being afflicted by this dissonance, because it's there, we, we talk about that all day. Sure. Um, I'm being afflicted by it, and it doesn't feel right, and I, I don't feel like I can deal with it. And so I'm trans. I can't do masculinity right. I'm, I'm not a man. I, I hate being a, viewed as an object of sexual desire, therefore I'm not a woman. And, and you see people just opting out of the societal uh, gender roles into a, a brand new one because it seems to give them some sort of meaning and definition in their life. I, I agree with you. I think that's I think that's what has happened societally. I'm interested to know um, personally for you, um, because you're not part of this generation. We're we're and we're both in our mid to late 40s. We're of the same generation. Um, but now that you now that you don't believe there's much more than some weak science suggesting a physical difference. How do you now conceive of how you personally and people like you um, developed your identity the way you did? If, if it's not physical, what else might it be? If it's not physical, what else might it be? Well, in my case, I think that the instead that I'm making about religion and being able to, or having a need to interpret the world, to have meaning, to have a feel like you have a place in it. I think all of that applies to me. I don't I don't think that I'm an exception from it. There are some ways where when I was growing up that I was had some developmental issues, delays socially, I was slow to make friends, I was uh, slow in sexual development. And the excuse that was present for me that was available was well, if I don't fit in, and if I can't get along with people who are supposed to be the same sex as me, boys, then maybe that's a sign that I'm not configured correctly for this world. Yes. It 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 reminds me it reminds me of some of my early experiences and early experiences I've heard from other men who turned out to be gay uh, when they were adults. I know I know it's not exactly the same. But, but much of it is, I think that if you, if you look back, I mean, speaking for myself, but I know that there are many, many gay men out there who have had this same experience. When I was young, I had a very hard time getting along with boys. I was afraid of them for various reasons. Um, I wasn't good at sports. I wasn't coordinated. Um, I was timid. Um, I flinched when balls were thrown at me. You know, um, I was a sissy. And I did believe at, um, you know, before the age of 10, I, I kind of had a fixation in my head. I believed that God had, um, that either I had been born bad um, and that God was punishing me or that God had made some sort of mistake and that I was supposed to be a girl. So I would pray at night that I would either wake up the next morning a girl or a, quote, normal boy. 
you're creeping me out, Josh. Why is that? That's that's what I did when I was a kid too. Well, well, I, that that doesn't surprise me because I I think it is a more common experience um, for males um, who end up with. I mean, because I think you know that experience for me. We call that today gender dysphoria. That would be one thing that we might call a sign of gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, before that, it was called gender identity disorder. Um, Obviously, I didn't go, I didn't persist in that belief. My discomfort uh, with myself expressed itself in other ways. Um, but, and it's sort of, I mean, you and I aren't going to be able to solve this. We're not going to be able to sit here in one show and say, well, gee, why did you go down this path? And I went down this path. But I think that we started a common route. And, um, you know, it, it really worries me how many kids these days who are having that same experience, because I don't think any of this is new. I don't think your psychology is new. I don't think my psychology is new. Um, that this option of, of transitioning is so available and so socially pushed now that I'm absolutely certain I don't need a study and I'd go on oath and raise my hand and put my hand on the Bible. There are gay kids right now who are being trans um, who, would, who would have turned out to be simply ordinary homosexual adults. I have no doubt about that. Um, and, and I think that's different. I mean, you know, you, you talk in your, in your Washington Post piece about, you know, you have some regrets. Um, you're not sure if you would have made the same decision. And that's gonna be, I think, even more true for kids coming up in this generation because they, they are being fast-tracked in a way that, well, I, I guess I don't know, but it doesn't sound to me like you were fast-tracked by somebody, or were you? No, I took the the slow path okay. as it was back then. I went fast down it, but at the time that I transitioned, you had to see a, you had to have something that was called the real-life test, which was that you had to live as your target sex for a year right? before you're supposed to get hormones. I started a little earlier than that. I went a little faster, okay. but... I, I still went through um, the majority of that. And um, then I had to have two letters to show that I was mentally fit before my surgeon would uh, agree to schedule me for sex reassignment surgery. So I, I had many hoops that I had to jump over in order to get the okay. And in retrospect, I think that when you have a young person who is very fixated on a goal, that as long as they are able to otherwise manage their life, and I, wa I was able to, then there really aren't, there really isn't anything else stopping a young person, even, even with a lot of professionals following a process. There's, there's really nothing that will stop a, a young person from getting what they want. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break, but I want to pick that up when we come back on the other side. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. 
and we're back. Let's go back to in retrospect. In retrospect, do you believe that the physicians um, or the, um, I don't know if they were psychiatrists, if they were other mental health professionals, but the people who provided you the letters, do you believe they did the right thing? I, well, that's a really interesting question. So do I believe that they had proper conduct that was ethical? Uh, I think yes. I think yes. And that's a weird question to answer because I know I'm saying I probably should have been slowed down more and people should have worked with me more. But the psychologist that I had, who I worked with primarily, had known me most of my life. I had seen her when I was in like the second grade because I was having some problems at school. And she was not a specialist. There were there weren't really very many gender specialists in, in the world at that time. She was just uh, the local psychologist who I knew from growing up. And she was doing her best to help me. She was following the literature the best that she could and was trying to follow the, the process to help me. And uh, she did. So she was she was trying to do the right thing. And I think that if I had her here right now and asked her, would you please uh, justify yourself that she would um, also give a, a very reasonable account that she did try to do the right thing. Okay, that's fair. It is a complicated question. Um, there are gray areas and there are there are things that are in tension with each other that sometimes cannot be resolved. That's part of the reality of situations like this. I, from my point of view, <clears throat> um, I, I think there are a couple of levels here. When you have a medical system or a psychiatric system or a combination of both whose, whose values, maybe not values, whose conceptual framework is such that there is a belief and, and that practitioners believe that this has been validated, right? So they believe that they're following along with something that has been objectively identified. But when one of those core beliefs is yes, there is a category of people whose suffering can only be alleviated through radical surgery to approximate that of the opposite sex, and that we must do that because if we don't, there will be no relief for them at all. I seriously question that core assumption. Um, I don't question that people in that situation who believe they need to transition, I know that they believe, many of them believe that is the case. And I'm not saying that to be insulting or, no, no. Uh, or anything, because I, I have believed I've had plenty of psychiatric problems myself. And there have been many times in my life when I believed I needed something that was absolutely not what I needed. My thinking was distorted. My prior assumptions were incorrect. Which doesn't make you bad. Right. No, or, it, does, and, it doesn't make anybody bad. It, it doesn't right. make anybody bad. Um, but I, from my point of view, I would like to see this assumption challenged. And I'm very alarmed that it has become dogma. Um, it is even more concrete than it used to be. 30 years ago, mm. uh, this belief that the kids will kill themselves if you don't do this. So the kids will be miserable. They will hate you. They will be alienated from everyone who loves them. And from the minute they get up in the morning until they go to bed at night, it will be nothing but suffer, suffer, suffer. You must give them surgery. I right. want I, that challenged. It's not just dogma. It's also become institutionalized. Um, elaborate. 
it's not just the gender clinicians who are giving that advice. It is now teachers and uh, the doctor, professional doctors associations are giving that advice, hospitals, uh, social workers. It's, it's right now, what you just described as the dogma is also what is the norm. Yes, correct. Um, <clears throat> and and if, if, could I continue for a second? Sorry. Please do, please yeah. do. Um, we need to challenge that norm because if it were validated by data, if there were a lot of longitudinal studies that said that uh, by and large, the children who are put through transition are happier, they've got better, better outcomes, longer lifespans, um, better metrics than peer matched groups who didn't go through it, then in that case, we would say, well, however we feel about this, the data here is, is pointing us in a particular direction. And, and right. perhaps we're going to still make a moral or ethical argument about this, but the, the data part of it has won. That, that's not true at all. The data part of this hasn't won at all. So all we have is an ethical argument because the, the data if anything, the data points to the opposite, that transition by and large is not great for people. Yeah, um, there, there seems to be some evidence that not only does it not alleviate the suffering to the degree that is claimed, um, but that it does not appear to reduce the actual incidence of completed suicide, at least in some of this, at least in the studies that I am aware of. In some studies, the, again, just to think, like the mindset that you should have when you're looking at these studies is which cohort do they cover? Because a lot of the things that, that we're talking about right now, we're, we're talking about the cohort that the young people who transitioned when they were young after 2010. Okay. So if you take studies that started in the 1970s with people who were mostly male who transitioned as adults, you can't take all of that those findings and apply them to the same cohort. It's going to be different. Yes. But I, I just I just want to point that out. I'm That's very important. And, and I think it's probably also important to point out or just underline that you and I are talking about this from the experience of a male perspective, male children. Um, yes. And it is not the same. There are similarities, but it is not the same for female children. Um, what it, what's, it seems to be right now, what I think in a nutshell is the young women uh, and adolescents who are going for transition is the same cohort that went for bulimia, anorexia, cutting, self-mutilation. Um, so there's, there's, there's a cohort within that that has where autism seems to play a, a very big role. So it's not, it's not monolithic and uniform, but in many ways it is the typical but extreme end of something we know about female adolescents and the, their vulnerability to body image issues that can express themselves in somaticization and self-harm. Um, not saying that no males can go through this, but there are some differences there. Because as you said, yeah, it used to be little boys. It was almost all little boys um, and, until, you know, I guess 2010 and after. And now we've seen this explosion I know in the UK, and I think it's similar in the US, I think it's about a 4,000% increase over that time period in the number of young women and girls uh, who are saying, I'm in the wrong body, or I, I'm a man and I need to transition. 
and it it frustrates me. Yep, that that number is coming from the UK Gender Identity Services. I don't think that we have a similar number in the United States. It might be even bigger in the United States. Uh, you want to hear something interesting? You know, of course. Uh, the Trevor Project? Sadly, yes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sadly, when I tell you this, uh, you, you might definitely say sadly, uh, more, have more uh, reason to have some um, issues. They did, uh, they released a study last year that was about the mental health of young people who transitioned or identify as trans. That's actually two totally different things. Right. We because, can't even know. It's not disaggregated. Right. right. And 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 a lot of the, the young people who identify as trans are just putting on um different set of clothes and and asking to to be called a different name. They're not they're not doing anything medical. They're they're just participating, right? So there's this huge survey of young people who identify as trans. And I contacted the authors of the study and I said, look, in your demographic section of the paper, you don't have any breakdown by age or sex. You do by identity. Mm -hmm. But what I really want to know is by age range in your survey, what percentage of that age group is female and which percentage is male? And one of the things that was published in it was that something like 9% of the population identified as male to female and something like 17% identified as uh, female to male. Okay. Or, or more than that is 20 something. And, and then the, the remainder identified as non-binary. <laughs> so, I, I did some really naive mathematics and I said, if the proportion of males to females, the, if the proportion of male to female and female to male is representative of the non-binary identifiers, then 80% of the survey respondents are female. Yeah. Are, is, so uh, did the Trevor Project respond to you and provide They did. They Did were they, they provided they were the detail. Mm -hmm. Nope, they refused. <laughs> they refused. Okay. They refused. Isn't they have that the data. Interesting. Uh, the the researcher said that she didn't think that the data had uh, something like twelve thousand respondents in the survey. She said that she didn't think that the data was representative of sex, which is really astonishing. Mean? Well, it's astonishing because if she doesn't, if she thinks that the information about the sex of the respondents would not be representative of a sample of 12,000 in, in, mm -hmm. uh, in this paper, that means probably the entire paper should be thrown out. Because if you're saying that the, the sex uh, of uh, a survey that has 12,000 respondents, if the sex of the participant is not representative, your, your, your survey collection uh, technique is, is broken, and you should not be trying to uh, derive any conclusions from your data. Well, yes. Um, and frankly, I think they know that. Yes. I think, I think they know it. Um, 
I, I can't get inside their heads and, and, and accurately divine all their motivations, but I simply do not believe that they don't know they're doing bad science on some level. I think a lot of them do. And I think they're okay with that. I think they, they believe they are morally justified in doing this because they believe that they are saving a vulnerable population. Oh, absolutely. And, and see, I don't think that they're evil people. I think that they're choosing to be unprofessional or or not uphold the standards of their profession is is maybe a nicer way of saying it because that if they did that that the scientific conclusion that they reached would be at odds with the institutional mission that they serve well hello listener it's mommy again you're quite welcome for the fine programming why don't you show some gratitude send mommy some money on patreon patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected you wouldn't want mommy to starve would you and if you don't love your dear mother you're not invited to find us on youtube rumble or odyssey for our hottest weekly content I guess this is goodbye forever.